0: Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Hey, thank you guys. Hey, everybody. Whoa. That's. That is unnecessary. Wow. All right. Thank you. Hey everybody. My name's Robbie. If you didn't hear her scream that. And uh it's good to be here with y'all tonight. I was I was back there that um man, that last chorus. Here's my heart, Lord. My life, Lord. Speak what is true. That is my prayer for tonight. Um cuz I don't do this all the time. And so um but I'm, I'm really glad to be here. For, for those of you who don't know my name enough to scream it out loud when I walk on a stage, I think I, it's worthy of a little introduction about who I am and who my family is. And so um, this is my beautiful family. Um, and, uh, and so we'll start with my wife. So we've been married for 19 years. Um, any of you, hey, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Whoo. Uh, super grateful for that. Um, I met her because she was sharing her story on this stage about how she met Jesus here at Illinois State University, and I was playing the drums, and I was like, I want to meet her. And uh, so that was cool. Thank you, Lord. Uh, any of you in the communication sciences and disorders? All right. <laughs> nope, you're not. Uh, but you probably want to date someone who is. So um, I'm just kidding. Wow, wow. Wow. Um, my wife uh, is uh, she. She her, she's actually called Dr. Osinga because she is a uh, clinical director in the in the speech and hearing clinic here at Illinois State University, and uh, she's an incredible mom to these three kiddos. And so we'll start with the youngest right here. This is this is Graham uh, Grahambo Insta Graham. Yeah, um, I love that little kid. And today. He uh, just to give you an insight about what it is to be ten years old. Um, he is rocking uh, Tar Heel blue shorts and jersey with Michael Jordan twenty three, like it was nineteen ninety four. Uh, and so, uh, love that kid. Uh, over here is our middle child, uh, Reese. Reese, baby. Um, that girl is smiling all the time, and um, and I just love her heart. She is uh, twelve years old. She's a sixth grader. And, uh, and just uh, such uh, a soft heart. She always feels everything that's happening in her room. And she'll be thinking about it and processing it for days. I love, I love who she is and who she's becoming. And this is uh, our eldest daughter. This is Kelsey Love, Kelsey Bug, K-Love. Um, she's an eighth grader, uh, 14 years old, um, an incredible kid. Uh, reads a room like no one's business. Got emotional intelligence out of her ears. someday I hope to grow up and be as kind and thoughtful and insightful as my 14-year-old daughter. Um, she's beautiful inside and out, and uh, she tonight is out at outdoor ed because all of my kids go to Metcalf. So if any of you in the in the education department here at Illinois State get to observe in the classrooms, you know, feel free to just walk up to them and be like, "Hey, I've seen you on a screen." and then just walk away. Yeah, it is creepy, and they're totally, they're totally used to people coming up and be like, I think I saw your dad speak once. Uh, they're fine with it. They, they get that. Um, yeah, and that's, that's me. So I'm Robbie, and i um, been a part of this ministry for probably over 25 years now, um started out in high school because they called me out uh, because they really needed worship uh, musicians that badly at that point in time. And so been around for a long time, uh, doing a lot of different things around the ministry, but a lot of times just spending, um, grabbing a cup of coffee with people and helping them figure out, is this the major I'm supposed to be in? Is this the relationship I'm supposed to be in? What am I doing with my life after college? And uh, I'm super grateful for the ways God has uh, used those conversations over the years. Uh, I work here in the community. Uh, in this current stage of my career, I'm apparently in commercial construction and real estate. And, uh, but I function as a, uh, a pastor sort of at large to the business community. And I'm super grateful for that. So, hey, tonight um, there's, there's a little introduction about me and my family. And uh, tonight I'm jumping into a sermon series that Ben kicked us off with this year called Turning Points. And uh, these moments where people's lives are headed in this direction, and then they they come into contact with Jesus, and their lives turn, and they head a different direction. And so uh, I was given a passage of Scripture that I've been marinating on over the last uh, five or six weeks. And honestly, I came into tonight thinking I was going to be talking to you guys about what God has to say about money. I know, super exciting. Um, Because y'all don't have much right now. Um, (laughs) And... Uh, man, I feel like uh, the Lord kept nudging me towards, uh, he wanted to reveal something different about himself to y'all tonight. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this passage of scripture. So if you're wanting to follow along, it's in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, a lot of people call this passage of scripture, um, the rich young ruler. Uh, in my Bible, it says uh, to enter God's kingdom is sort of the subtitle that's over it. Um, it shows up in three different, uh, three of the four Gospels uh, in the Bible. It shows up in Luke, Mark, and Matthew, all telling pretty much the same story, a few different words and things there. So, it, what it tells me is that this happened. This is a historical record of an interaction that was so impactful that the people who were in witness, who were in eyeshot or earshot of this interaction with Jesus, it was so memorable that this story got told over and over and over again so many times that three different people years and years later after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection uh, decided that this story was crucial to be written down in the context of their narrative about the life of Jesus. This story uh, matters. And so uh, I'm excited to dive in and see what he wants to reveal to us about himself tonight. So I'm going to start Mark chapter 10, uh, starting verse 17. It says, As he went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, honor your father and mother. He said, teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. He said, there's one thing left, go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come, follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Would you pray with me? Jesus, um, here's my heart. My heart, Lord, is that tonight, as we uh, discuss and learn and and dive into this story, um, my heart is that anyone in this room, anyone who's in earshot or eyeshot of what we're doing here right now, um, would have a turning point themselves, God, that tonight we would all see you and be seen by you as I have... Uh, seen you and been seen by you as i've been diving into this passage um, father god here's my heart would you speak what is true would you speak what is true and as we do that um, would you be glorified and would we all draw closer to you we ask this in your name jesus amen amen all right well um with that, let's, uh, let's look and see what, what, what kind of jumps out at uh, us from reading this scripture. So it starts off, verse 17, and says, As he went out into the streets. Now, we'll stop there. Whenever I see a statement like that, that gives me some pause. Because if I'm starting a story, how many of you would start a story like that? As he went out into the streets. That feels like there's something probably before it it feels like we're starting in the middle of a story, not at the beginning of one. And so what I want you to do is back up three verses. Okay, we're going to back up three verses. Uh, and by three, because I know math, and we started in 17, I mean four, because uh, we're going to go to 13. In my Bible, it has these fancy little asterisks, uh, which, I, I, you know, I, I imagine maybe Mark drew those when he wrote the, the book. I don't know. Um, but But for whatever reason, the translators of the Bible decided that this was a spot to say, actually, the story starts here, not here. And so let's read here what that says. It says, The people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them off, though, but Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of life in the kingdom, Mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Then gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands of blessing on them. I, I, I find it interesting that this story shows up before the story of the rich young ruler, and not just in Mark's gospel, but in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's as well. And it makes me wonder Why? Why? Um, these stories could have, and a lot of times as we look at the Gospels, we see different orders of how these stories show up. But for some reason, in all three Gospels, it starts with this little four verses or whatever about children, and then it goes into the rich young ruler. And I, and I got to admit, most of the time when I've heard this passage talked about, it just starts with the rich young ruler and it goes on. But I think it's interesting that it, it starts with uh, Jesus seeing off in the distance as he's walking down the street that there are children who are being brought to him by someone i'm going to fill in the gap here typically when my children are being brought by someone it's me <laughs> their parent and so i'm 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 just guessing that parents had heard of the incredible miracles the turning points the incredible things that were happening in Jesus' ministry, and and they wanted to get their children close to him. They wanted not to just get them close to him, they wanted him to bless them. That's what many different translations of the Bible say, that they were bringing the children to Jesus so that they would touch him, that they would bless them. And I I put on my parent hat, I'm glad you got to see a picture of my three kiddos, and and I gotta be honest, um, there is nothing I want more as their father than for them to experience Jesus. Than for them to experience the presence of God Almighty. It's it is it is my heart's desire for my children. And in fact, y'all, I'm I'm gonna confess I'm I'm not a great prayer. I pray often when I feel like I really need him, or I pray often when I feel like things are really going my way, and then there's a lot of space in between that I acknowledge that I struggle with consistency of prayer. But when I look back over the arc of my parenthood, 14 years and and counting, um, the most consistent prayer I have is, Lord, would you please reveal yourself to my children? May they hear your voice more than I ever have. Would they experience your presence tenfold in ways that I ever have? I want them to know you, Lord. I have prayed that prayer their entire lives. And so putting myself in their shoes, if I knew that Jesus was coming through my town or even in proximity, I would load them up and I would get them there because I want them to experience him. I would be looking to get close to them, and, and this is true of a lot of people. There were crowds following Jesus everywhere he went. Um, you, you all may have heard of the story of one woman who was suffering uh, with with health problems for so many years, believed that if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' clothes, she would be healed. That is the experience that so many people had and and why so many people were crowding around him. And so in this moment, parents are bringing these kids to him and the disciples in their infinite wisdom. If you remember last week, we talked about how brilliant Peter was. he regularly would stick his foot in his mouth and he would, he would make poor decisions and he would come back later and regret it and he would figure it out and, and God was incredibly faithful with him. But uh, in this moment, kids are coming around Jesus and they're shooing the children away, like, leave him alone, leave him alone. And it says, if you look here, it says, uh, he got irate. That's a fun word, right? That's not necessarily the way we always picture Jesus, but why did he get irate? How many of you are education majors in the room? Cool. How many nursing majors in the room? Got some social work, psychology, criminal justice. How many of you are thinking about going into the, into the helping fields? It's, it's passages like this that should make your heart beat out of your chest because the God of the universe stopped everything and said, Hey, wait. Y'all are pushing these kids off to the side. You're pushing the people off to the side that the that the world says don't matter, are not valuable. And Jesus like pulls an e-brake on the whole processional and he's like, wait, 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 wait. No. And he kneels down to their level, right? Like all of you educators and nurses and social workers and psychologists and those in the helping professions know to do is to get on eye level with kids. And he looks at them and he loves them and he takes them in and he he rebukes his disciples and he says, hey, y'all don't get it. This, only when, only when you come to me like a child, Will you experience the kingdom? And then he takes time to put his hands on them and to bless them. What a cool interaction, right? Now, why in the world is that passage of Scripture? there consistently why is that story told right before this next one because it it seemingly is like as soon as he's done blessing the children he gets up and he starts to walk down the street going wherever it was that he was going in the first place the crowds are with him and then it says I gotta hit my little clicker here then it says as he went out as he went out into the street a man came running up and greeted him with great reverence how does someone run up to, to Jesus and give him great reverence? Okay, so we, here we have this interaction where Jesus is down on his knees. He's looking children in the eyes. He's blessing them. He gets up. He walks this direction. And immediately, a man comes running towards him. And he greets him with great reverence. Well, in that culture, I, I'm guessing that he, he probably said some flowery words, maybe, maybe. Maybe as soon as Jesus gets up off of his knees, maybe this person comes and gets on their knees and and comes to him. And maybe even grabs his hand and says, good. It says here, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? What's interesting is in the book of Luke, it, it goes on and it describes this where we get the title, rich young ruler, describes this person as being exactly that, a rich young person from the community, uh, likely leading in some capacity in the local synagogue or in the Jewish community, in the local government, whatever it is, um, and, and that he shows up. And so we, we've got some context when we look at the other gospels about who this person is. And so what I find really interesting is that we go from children which were really in that culture seen as having very little value. Not really given a lot of time a day. In fact, it was pretty natural for people to shoo them away. And honestly, at times it still is, right? And Jesus pulls an e-brake and honors those children and then goes directly to the exact antithesis of what children are, which is a rich and powerful man. I find that interesting. We go from here to hear in society. And you're going to see that Jesus does one of his classic tips. (laughs) And he elevates one that everyone has down and and he lowers the one that everyone has up. The rich young ruler says to him, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And again, I picture them walking and having this conversation. Um, and Jesus says to him, uh, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. Now, that's a weird statement. That's a weird statement. What if someone says, hello, good sir, to Robbie O'Singa walking down Uptown Normal? I'd, my first reaction would be like, why do you call me good? That's weird. I, I, that's, that jumps out at me. Also, why do I talk like that? I don't know. And and, I, and, and it's because I, I'm... I'm saying that because I realize sometimes when I read the Bible, I put crazy voices (laughs) into these characters, right? Like, I I find that I don't always know. Sometimes I'm just reading to read because I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray every day. Anyone been there? Yeah. Sometimes I miss the humanity. I miss the characters. I miss the character development of these humans right there. And, and, And I realize that sometimes I have maybe different tone of voice in my head as I'm reading than maybe what is intended. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, maybe maybe this will help. Any of you uh, like me on Instagram follow something called uh, office bloopers? No? Maybe you should. You do. Okay. All right. So she does. So she knows what I'm about to say. So office bloopers, it's basically just... um, I don't know, clip after clip of really ridiculous moments on the show The Office that are so ridiculous that it causes other characters in the scene to break character and just like crack up and lose where they're at altogether, okay? So sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes my day kind of sucks, and I'm like, office bloopers, okay? And uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, I noticed something that was a little different. They actually put on there, it was about a five-minute clip of audition video recordings of other famous actors that you might know trying out for roles of like Jim and Pam and uh, Michael Scott. And, and just like so weird to hear to see other people being uh, these characters that, I, that I've kind of come to know. And, and, it, and it sounds so weird to hear the same words and some of the same lines that you know that are kind of famous read by people that aren't them at all. And I, I share that with you because I find myself doing that same thing when I read the Bible. I just superimpose whatever mood I'm in into how I'm reading it. Like if I'm in a down mood, everything kind of comes off angsty. <laughs> uh, or I'm just reading past Uh, maybe significant emotional moments because I'm just trying to get to the end of a page. And so I look at this and I think, why do you call me good? No one is good, only God. And again, I've got to, when I really stop and think about that, I'm going, "Maybe, maybe there's more happening here than just these words on a page. So this rich young ruler comes up, kneels down, maybe kisses his hand, and says, good teacher, stops him in his tracks. And maybe Jesus, as he's walking along, just like, hey man, (laughs) come on up here. Why do you call me good? And I picture him almost with a little smirk on his face. Kind of looking around at the crowd like, everyone knows only God is good. Almost like he's implying that there's an inside joke that everyone knows he's the Messiah, but he's not saying it yet. And saying, like, I am God, but I'm not saying it. Classic Jesus. Um, <laughs> being confusing and being sneaky. But I, but I picture him with his arm around this young man. And, and then he goes on to try and answer his question. Because remember, his question was, teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And, and Jesus goes on to say, well, you know the commandments. Now, how do we know that he knows the commandments? I don't know. I don't know all the commandments. How does he know that he know? I'm guessing based off of the way he was dressed, maybe he came uh, up to him and it was instant to know that this is a Jewish man of prominence from the synagogue or a Jewish man of prominence um, from the, the local government. I, I don't know what it is, but somehow he knew that he knew the commandments. And, and Jesus starts to list them off. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Okay, I'm just repeating myself. Don't cheat. <laughs> honor your father and mother. Wow, that was really fun. Um, and, I, and I picture that Jesus was maybe going to keep going because there were hundreds of commandments. And he said, Teacher, I have all of them. I've kept them all from the time I was young. And this part is really fun for me to think about because it makes me go back to Jesus' interaction with the children. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. Again, you can just read that and keep moving on to the next verse, but whoa, well, what does that look like? Well, let's stop and think about this for a second. Yes, this is the first time that we know of that Jesus meets this young ruler But yet, remember, Jesus is God. Jesus has known this young man since before he was born. He's been there for every uh, up and down of his entire life. He knows him. He loves him. He came to this earth for this young man. So when Jesus looks him in the eye and loves him there's a lot that's not communicated in the words in this passage that had to have been communicated through nonverbal communication right right when you when you when you've messed up or when you've had a really hard day and you come into contact with someone who knows you who loves you who cares about you and they they look you in the eye and they love you. You know what that feels like. We've all experienced it. There aren't words to put down to describe that, but I just picture Jesus putting both hands on his shoulders, looking at him in love. Like all the love, like all the love in the entire universe looking at him in that moment. boy, That's worth stopping for a second and not just moving on to the next verse. There's a lot happening there, and when you think about what this man was coming and bringing to Jesus, we just read this question: like, what must I do to enter the, to have eternal life or to enter the kingdom? And again, we don't know all the details, but if he's a rich young ruler, I'm guessing he's he's experienced some highs and lows, and he's put himself in a position um, to have accumulated some wealth some influence, some power, based off of the fact that he's heard all of the commandments and he's obeyed them for the entirety of his life, he's been checking off boxes. He had a plan, y'all. He had a plan and he worked the plan. (laughs) And so if he is coming looking for Jesus, my guess is he's got everything on the plan all checked off and he heard that the Messiah is coming through town and he just wants to make sure that this list that he's been checking his whole life That he knows is solid is really solid. I might as well, he's here. Surely he'll talk to me. So he comes and goes straight to Jesus and says, Good teacher! Gets his attention, right? Slows everything down. What must I do? And I I gotta believe that when he came to Jesus in that moment, he thought he already knew the answer. He thought he was gonna say, You've done it. You're crushing it, bro. You're in. You got this. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, great. Good talk, Jesus. See ya. That's what I think he came there expecting to hear. But instead, Jesus looks at him. He looks at him. hard in the eye with all the love well, this had to throw off his plan a little bit. I imagine he was a little dazed and confused and like, what is happening? (laughs) This is not what I expected. Jesus goes on. I'll go to the next one here. Jesus goes on and says, there's one thing left. Now remember, this is after he looked at him and loved him. there's one thing left. If he he loved him, he knew all that this man has. He knew all that this man has been doing. He knew how hard he's been striving to check the list. And so I gotta believe when he looked at him and when he loved him, he knew how hard the words he was about to say were going to fall on this person whom he loved. He looked at him And he loved him. And he said, There's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth. And then come and follow me, still looking at him. Again, I think this is the moment where, in that rich young ruler's mind, he's going what's happening? What? This is not what I expected. Did he just say? And, and why do I know that? It says that the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. Again, imagine with me, if you will, Jesus has got his hands on his shoulder. He looks at him and he loves him and he knows how hard this is going to be to tell him the truth, but he's telling him, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. And he, and he probably, as he's holding the man's shoulders, felt it start to slump, felt a gasp <laughs> in his chest, saw his face begin to cloud over, I believe Jesus knew how hard it would be to hear those words. But I I believe that this rich young ruler was not expecting to hear that. His face starts to turn and it says that he began to walk off and I I picture that not as a okay, (laughs) and walk off. I picture that as a A lot of, like, looking back moments, you know? That's how I see it. And then there's this weird statement that comes in. I don't know if y'all have ever been to a play where there's a narrator. But at Metcalf at the middle school over here, when they put on plays, there's often a narrator. Or four, because we have lots of kids who need parts. And so we'll put them over here on stage right or left, or someone who's a thespian can tell me which one. Thank you, stage left. And they're over there, and all of a sudden a spotlight comes on, and they step up to the microphone, and they say what everyone in the crowd is thinking, but they just kind of want to make things clear. And so there's this statement that comes out, which I find uh, interesting. It just says, He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. You know, last week, um, Ben had, had kind of talked about this, this journey that we all go on. Um, and, and as he, he put that up last week, I was thinking about this statement. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go, really that's a statement for all of us. We are all holding on tight to a lot of things that we are not uh, about to let go. And, and it makes me um, think of this. Um, each of us have come into this room tonight probably with some version of a plan of what our lives is supposed to be like. Just like this rich young ruler, just like the parents of these children, they all have hopes and dreams, they all have a sense of their wiring and what they're made to do and created to do, and we hold on to these things, and we've got these expectations, but let's just be honest, life, uh, life looks a little bit more like this, right? Right? Life looks a little bit more like this. And so when I, when I think about this and I think about the rich young ruler, he had this expectation that this is really what his life looks like. That's, I, I imagine that that's how he tells his story. Up and to the right, yo. All I do is win. Ah, uh, shows up. And just to confirm that I'm winning, I'm just gonna double check the last thing real quick. I'm out. That's, that's how I pictured him coming to Jesus. But in that moment, he was reminded of th- this. Because I think he was right about here a rich young ruler. And then he interfaces with Jesus and then (laughs) reality kind of sets in because he walks off. He was not ready to let go. He was holding on tight. I think that's true of all of us. Last week, Ben had mentioned, uh, he had put up this statement. Uh, God has called you to serve you to a surrendered, struggling-toward-the-Lord kind of life. A surrendered, struggling-toward-the-Lord kind of life. Um, when I think about the characters that were in this story tonight, And I think about the way that when Jesus shows up and he looks at someone and he loves them and the way he got down on his knee and he interfaced with those kids and the way he, he connected with this rich young ruler, there's, this story just sort of ends. It, actually, it, it goes on and there's this interaction between Jesus and his disciples where he's gonna talk about money, which is why I thought tonight I was gonna talk about money. But I feel like Jesus is asking us to stay right here and, and to think about what happened next with that young man. We don't know. In all three of the Gospels, it doesn't come back and be like, oh, by the way, P.S., here's what happened with the rich young ruler. I wish it did. But I want to play out a story and just see what you think in light of who we've experienced Jesus to be just in these two interactions. Imagine if Jesus, uh, a few days later, was maybe by the campfire, and the rich young ruler is waiting for the time where Jesus is alone. He's kind of been following along at a distance, just hoping that he can get some time alone with Jesus. And I picture this interaction where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he instantly goes to his knees and says, Jesus, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I I want I want all that you are offering. I know that you are God. I know that you are the Messiah. I know that you have more life to offer. But I'm scared. I'm scared. Like, I want I want to give away everything I have. I want to sell it and give it to the poor. But I'm... But what if you, I don't... I just... Like he doesn't even have the words. Imagine, if you will, if that interaction happened. How would Jesus react based off of the two stories we read today? Would Jesus be like, sorry, bro, told you what to do? (laughs) Right? Sell it all, come back to me when you got it done. Then you can have everything. Later. Right? Is that what Jesus would do? Or based off of the interactions that we see in these two stories, Would Jesus wrap his arms around this young man and say, I'm so glad you came back. I have not stopped thinking about that conversation. That must have been so hard for you. I know. I know you're scared. I know you want more out of this life. You've been working so hard. I know. I see it. I've seen it. I've been here all along. In fact, not only have I seen it, I get it. There's something coming in my future that I'm going to have to do that I don't want to do either. But I am so proud of you for being here right now. And then I I picture the rich young ruler being like, but I just, I want to give it and Jesus just goes, you know, shh, one of those moments. Probably not that. <laughs> but just goes, I know. Hey, I'm with you. I understand you're not, you're not ready yet. That's okay. I'm going to extend my invitation, but I'm going to change things a little bit. Come follow me. Come follow me. Walk with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. We'll get back to that other request of selling everything and giving it to the poor. I know you can't do it on your own. That's why I'm here. That's why I've come. So, tonight, maybe you're like the children and you need Jesus to stop and acknowledge that he sees you that you're valuable and that he loves you like crazy even when other people say you're not valuable or don't see you Jesus does i hope if you were looking for that tonight you heard that that you saw that if maybe you're like the parents And there's someone in your life that you so badly want to experience the freedom and the life in Jesus. And so you're bringing them here tonight or you're you're continually inviting them or on your knees praying for them that they would experience your love. And I just want you, I hope you know that Jesus says, I see you. That's awesome. They don't have to come on their own. I'll meet them right where they're at. I'm crazy about them. Or maybe all of us in some form or another are holding on to something pretty tight, our plans, that life that we've got, that job that we're going to get, that, that marriage that we're going to have, that family, that, those vacations, that bank account, that 401k, the, the legacy, the impact, the significance, whatever it is that you have come to this place to achieve But you're scared on all of this talk about people, you know, being a fisherman one day and the next day just following this guy Jesus. You're scared about that. I hope tonight that you see Jesus as saying, give it all away, come. And at the same time, honoring you when you just admit, but I'm scared. I don't know what that looks like. I've got a plan, and I don't know what it look. How will I provide for my family? How what will that look like? How will I use my? Will I be significant? And Jesus just goes, "I know. I get it. I'm with you. Just just take another step. Come. Follow me. I think each of us has an invitation tonight." There's something that maybe we're holding on to. Holding on tight to. And we're not about to let go. Tonight I'm not asking you to lay it down. I don't think Jesus is even necessarily, maybe he is, asking you to lay it down. But he is asking you, I've got more for you than what you've got in your hand. What if tonight you would just come and say, I want to but I don't know how? I want to surrender it all, but I'm scared. What if the turning point isn't necessarily full 100% surrender, but it is help? Help. I think from what we learned from these two stories, he's gonna meet you with kindness, with grace. He's gonna envelop you in his love. And I dare you to come, whether fully extended and ready to surrender it or still holding on, come. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for revealing who you are to us through your word. You are kind. You are passionate. You are zealous. You are all love. Wherever we're coming tonight, you continually meet us with that love, with that kindness, with that compassion. Whether we can surrender our lives fully to you yet or not? Holy Spirit, would you come because we can't on our own? We don't have what it takes. Would you move in us? Would you continue to draw us closer to you? And as we do that, would we experience more of your love and would we be released to give more of it away to others? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. listening find out more about encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org